fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. on FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. John Copenhaver, how are you doing? I am doing very well on this chilly day in... What month are we in? January? <laughs> <laughs> it's all a blur. Actually, it's warming up where I am. In the West, we're getting the warm stuff already now, so... Um, we'll be getting in. I'm headed up to the uh, Mr. Riders of America board meeting, and it looks like snow is headed to New York City, so I'm, like, bracing for an unpleasant travel day tomorrow. But maybe I'll get lucky. Yeah, maybe I'll miss it. It's always, It makes travel the worst, you know, especially on planes. Well, okay, now here we go. We've got a returning guest, a uh, great writer, his new book, Who to Believe, a Twisting Domestic Thriller, Mr. Edwin Hill. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, this is wonderful. So what's going on in your life? What, what's, what's new in the last, since you've been here last? You've been, you got the new book out, but what else is going on? Oh, my goodness. What has happened in the last two years? Um, well, I've been teaching at Emerson College, which has been great. I've been doing a lot of editorial work as well. Uh, I'm, of course, like a good crime novelist. I'm working on another novel right now as I promote this one. So that has been at the back of my mind or the forefront of my mind for the last uh, many months. And um, I'm excited about that one. I'm more excited about having that one be done because it's been kind of a bear to write. Yeah, sometimes it is, isn't it? You know, yeah, big relief when it gets finished. When you do so much editorial work in that, um, does that affect you when you're writing? Are you really tough on yourself? Um, I mean, I like to think that I'm a good editor, so I do I do hand in pretty clean manuscripts to my um, to my editor, which I think he appreciates. I really enjoy the final stage of the editorial process when you're really going in and looking at at a manuscript on a on a sentence level, um, looking for you know the words that you're relying on a little bit too much, getting rid of those. One of my when I'm drafting a novel, it's like I am, word count is always at the back of my mind, especially as I'm creating the, the first drafts. Um, and once I get over a certain word count, I always relax a lot. And so I always know with the final stages of editorial, when I'm starting to reduce the length of the novel, and I'm actively trying to reduce the length of the novel, that's when I start to know that I've really gotten the story right because I'm no longer focused in on that, that word count issue. So that must be quite a struggle. I could just see you sitting there with yourself in the room, arguing back and forth in two different voices. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, like, w one of the things that I think a lot of writers do, I certainly do it when I'm writing a draft, because I'm just, I'm really trying to get words on the page, I'll often write terrible sentences and include, like, clauses within those sentences that I know will ultimately get 
uh, cut out or even like long passages of a, of a character driving somewhere, even though I know I'll cut all of those words out about the actual act of driving. Uh, but it's, it's just useful to actually go through the, the, um, go, go through the activity of, of getting those words on the page. So I actually don't have a lot of voices in my head. I actually am pretty, pretty <laughs> clear cut when it comes down to it. And I know where, I know where I have, uh, where I've overstepped and something needs to come out. But I imagine you, you've got to do that. You've got to kind of do the, what was some of the people say, they could word vomit or whatever they say. You just got to put it out because it puts you in the right frame when you're writing, right? That's exactly right. Yep. You know, you know, I, I know there's people that do it the other way, but I, I don't know how it doesn't, <laughs> you know, that's not me. So what is, who to believe? Tell us, tell, what's the premise of this book? Oh, sure. I'm really excited about this book. It's a standalone novel. Anyone's read my series. This uh, this does have one one character from my series who makes an appearance, but it's a minor character, minor appearance. Uh, but this novel takes place in a small town on the southern coast of Massachusetts, which is a uh, which is a beautiful area of of Massachusetts that's still a little bit undiscovered, not as much as it was ten years ago. But um, it starts when a local woman, a local restaurateur named uh, Laurel Thibodeau, is murdered by asphyxiation in her own home. Um, as often happens with these cases, suspicion immediately falls on her husband and business partner, Simon. Um, he has gambling debts and recently took out a large life insurance policy. Um, and he also has a rock solid alibi. Laurel, it turns out, has a, has a, has made some sketchy decisions herself. She's been stealing money from local elderly, uh, elderly people. So that's how the whole thing starts. You learn that all on the very first page. Then what we do is we, we uh, fast forward about a week, and this is a tiny little town where everyone has an opinion on what might have happened. And so a group of friends gets together to celebrate one of their birthdays, and each of them has their own take on the story. Um, and what I did with this novel is I, I was inspired by a movie from the 50s called Rashomon, also by a, um, by a TV series called The Affair, which ran about 10 years ago. And what I did is I broke the narrative up into six parts that are about equal. And each part is told by one of the party attendees. We go through and look at the events of the night um, through each of their POVs and, and the, the story builds on each other. So you'll look at some of the same events through different lenses um, and you'll learn different things. And I don't think I'm giving anything away when I tell you that someone at that party is guilty and someone at that party doesn't make it through to the end. Whose whose voice do you put it in? Do you put it in one or several? It's in it's in six different voices, and so each part is told from a, a specific point of view. So, like the first the first sixth of the novel is told by um, a guy named Farley Drake, and he is a psychiatrist who sort of has a nasty habit of getting too close to his clients. Um, and then, so we switch the the second part is told by a woman named Alice Stone, who's a financial planner. And we look at we look at the party through Alice's point of view, but we also look at surrounding events through Alice's point of view. So we learn um, we learn more about what's going on and what her secrets are, what secrets she brings to that evening. And then we do that with uh, a number of other characters as well. Do you find it difficult to do it that way? Do you find, is it, is it a struggle to try and keep it correct, you know, when you go from so many different voices? Actually, that is such a good question. It was this was such a different way of writing a novel because um, so many details depend were so were there were so many details that you had to get right. So um, you know I'd be working on Farley's scene 
and you know maybe they were eating ratatouille and barley scene and then i'd be working the analysis scene and all of a sudden they were eating whatever spaghetti carbonara and i would i'd be like ah then i'd have to go through and i'd have to find all the instances of that detail and and decide whether or not they should be different or the same because one of the things with a with a rachman story like this is everyone has a different perception right and so sometimes people would would remember something differently than someone someone else um and sometimes they'd remember things exactly the same generally people remember what they had for dinner so those types of details really had to had to be uh had to be uh carefully managed i mean that first of all that seems um and i've i've played around with perspective in my own writing a bit but particularly the fine details and different perspectives on the same event is a, a challenge you know it, it, first of all i guess my first question is what drew you to the, the looking at a story through different perspectives i mean why was that interesting to you from a you know, theme or, or even craft? I love point of view. I mean, think about going to a, like the example, like the innocuous example I, I like to talk about is like, think about you going to a party or me going to a party. I, I haven't go to parties. Like I'm, I'm like an awkward, awkwardly social person. So I'll go to a party, I'll say something dumb and I'll think that like that dumb thing has resonated throughout the entire party and everyone's talking about it. And of course, in real life, that's only me that brings that, that point of view to that party. No one else even noticed the thing that I said. And so, um, I love this idea of, of, of the view of the world, the view of, the view of exchanges between people and how, how people, how people's, um, uh, feelings or the secrets that they're keeping. Uh, sort of inform everything that they're doing and how people see things complete, how, how, how people can see the same experience completely differently. Um, it's also super exciting as a storyteller for this to, to look at the same, the same sequence of events and see how they can be altered with each point of view. So one of the things that I really wanted to do with this novel is that each time you enter a new POV, each time you enter a new character's, character's um, experience, whatever has been seen before is completely turned on its head. So like, I'll give an example. This is a pretty, this, this doesn't give too much away, um, but there is a birthday cake in this, in this story because there's a birthday. And as I was writing about the party and the cake, the cakes started to take on different meanings for different characters. And the cake wound up informing who who the characters were like were they were they nice people were they selfish people were they um, paranoid people and I used that object to help the reader see how um, how how each of these characters were different from each other um, and I didn't mean to do that with the, the with the cake as an example I actually didn't even mean to do that with that particular um, object um, but as the novel sort of progressed and the cake kept sort of coming back. Uh, in scene after scene, eventually, like as a, you know, like any novelist, you have to be like, if this thing is in the story and it's getting mentioned this many times, it's got to have some level of importance, right? And so then I had to think through myself, what what is important about this cake? And I, I um, you know, I managed to to make it important to enough characters to really keep keep all of those references in there. You think that um, I mean it's, it's it's a really novel way of trying to reveal character, uh, particularly taking an object like a birthday cake and having different characters interpret it. Essentially, is what you're doing. It's it's all up for interpretation. Is there like you know certain things you felt um, could 
It'd be open to interpretation, perhaps, for emotional reasons, but other elements that just had to be kind of locked in place? Or or was it all sort of, you know, open? <laughs> it was all open because everyone, see, everyone sees everything differently. You know, you're always bringing you're always bringing whatever baggage you have to um, an experience, right? So I did use certain things, like there are certain lines in the novel that I, I repeat just to ground the reader. Um, so there's one line that says there's there's a guy at a grill and he turns over a piece of brisket and he says, "Yo, look at that meat." Um, and it was a it was a good enough line of dialogue, like it was punchy enough that it would stick in a reader's mind. And so I repeated that, I think, three times in the novel, just so that the reader would be like, oh, here we are. We're at that place where, where Damien says, you know, look at that meat. And now we're going to look at this scene from a different a different perspective. And that that's something that's just sort of solid and grounded. And, and there's no interpretation of that line, except in that way. But in, in most in most cases, there in most cases, people would look at the, the characters would look at things and, and there would be a difference to them. Now, are you continuing to explore perspective in your what you're working on now, or is this sort of you're moving on? Oh my goodness! You know, I you know I, I always try to try something new with every novel, and this time I'm writing I'm working on a novel that's called um, What Happened Next, and the the difference for this novel is that I only have one point of view character, which is the first time I've done that, uh, and it's written in the first person present. And it's it's like a whole different way of telling us it's 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 a whole different way of telling a story. Everything has to be filtered through that one character or that one character's imagination, um, and you that character has to be completely honest. I think for the for this novel to work, that character has to be completely honest um, as a as a narrator, um, and it's just a completely different way to to write. So that that's been really exciting to do. Now, are you thinking of the reader when you put these stories together? As you're writing it, do you think about what the reader's going to think? Oh yeah, I do that probably after my first draft. When I'm when I'm first when I'm writing the first draft, I, I'm really just trying to figure out how all of the pieces fit together and what what the characters are doing, what the plot is, that kind of stuff. Uh, how I'm going to how I'm going to get to my word count. Um, but then I really start thinking about the reader in the um, in the subsequent in the subsequent drafts. And like, for example, with this novel, there are six point of view characters and they're all told from the first person. Um, and so I, I wanted to make sure that I was signaling enough to the readers so that there wouldn't be confusion over who the narrator was in a certain section. I certainly wanted the uh, a reader who put the novel down and picked it up to remember who the narrator was um, at that point, if they were like sort of in the middle of a section or whatever. And so I did, you know, I was really careful in crafting so that, that there were enough signals at the beginning of chapters so that you knew who the narrator were, who knew who the narrator was, that there were enough in the book building process that there was enough, there were enough uh, pieces of the book that would tell the reader who the narrator was. Um, so like each, each section begins with the narrator's name or role in the novel. And then each chapter um, begins with the character being named in some way. Yeah, that's it's quite a process, you know. How do you get into the mindset of of each of your characters, being that they're all kind of in in a way they're all reporting something from a different point of view? Do you know? You know, they're they're seeing it in their way. So, how, without mixing up the characters or some emotions and stuff, it, that must be really difficult too. 
It was. What was fun about this, my novels before this one had been told from multiple points of view, uh, where, you know, like a more traditional way where, you know, there'd be a chapter from one character, a chapter from another character. What I loved about this style of format uh, of storytelling was that I almost wrote each section like it was a long, short story. And then I structured each section like you would a, like you would with a novel with a traditional three act structure. So each like Farley, who's the first um, character, he's the psychiatrist. His section is um, about 50 pages long and it has a uh, inciting incident. It has a midpoint. It has two. Uh, plot points and it has a climax um, and the climax is a climax that has a story question at the end because it leads into the next section of course what was really fun about doing that was a I stayed with a character for a, a while so 50 pages is a long time to stay with a character so you can really really get into their uh, into their mindset you can really get into their voice um, but it also by by structuring each of the sections with all of those plot points it added a lot it added so much tension to, to the novel. So now I have a novel that has, it has a midpoint, the, the whole novel has a midpoint, but I also have a novel where there are actually, um, there are actually six other midpoints. So the novel is constantly sort of having reversals in it. Edwin, I feel like we, we, we could, I could share this interview with some of my students because I constantly get questions about structure and point of view. And I, I bet you do too. And so I'm just going to ask a teacherly question. Do you, when you're working with students, do they, uh, do you explore point of view with them or, or help them with these sorts of issues? Oh gosh, yeah, that's what I spend most of my time on. Um, I really, I think structure, understanding structure is one of those tools that once you understand it really well, once you understand the three X structure, whatever you're planning to use, it helps you understand the process of storytelling. And of course, like any of these tools, once you once you understand it really well, you can throw you can throw parts of it out the window if it doesn't support your story. Um, but it does help you sort of build and construct a novel. And um, once I really started getting into structure, it really helped me. It helped me just it helped me build novels in a different way, so that um, it was just easier for me. Um, it helps me break one of the challenges of writing a novel period is that it's long. Um, it's a very, very long document. And so what structure allows you to do is to always have something to, to write toward. So if you're writing toward your, your uh, plot point one, your plot point one comes about a, a quarter or a third of the way through the novel. And so if you're writing toward that plot point one, the only thing that you need to do is get to page 75 to 100. You don't need to get to page 300, which is like, such a daunting task. And so that's one of the things that I use with my students as far as structure goes. I, I help them break up their their um, their larger works into smaller pieces so that they're always working towards something. Yeah, I think that I, 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 I'm so glad to hear that, you know, what well, you're teaching structure and I'm a proponent of discussing it. It's not something, certainly in my own education, we um, discussed all that much. Um, it was more sort of, of just get it on the page, go more, uh, you're sort of the pantser, so, so to speak, just, just write and figure it out later. But, um, I think in my experience, it sounds like perhaps I'm, I'm curious about your own. Um, did you, were you always interested in structure or did you kind of come to this after, you know, a more of a, you know, writing into something approach? 
Oh, definitely. I came to it after a writing into something approach. When I did my MFA, I don't think we talked about structure at all either. I mean, one of the, th I mean, with an MFA, MFA programs are designed for, not, this is like a big generalization, but in general, um, MFA programs are designed for short story writing because you're, you're, it's, it's a lot easier to workshop a short story. Um, it's a complete piece of work. Um, you can talk about the whole thing. You can improve the whole thing. Uh, novels are so much more challenging to workshop, right? Because you're, you're just looking at, you know, traditional workshop, you're only looking at a piece of them. Um, and so as a, as the person being workshopped, it can be frustrating because you're only looking at a piece of it. So one of the things that I'm always trying to do with my students who are almost always exclusively working on novels is to, is to workshop in a way that we're still only looking at a, a piece of the work but in a way where we look at the work holistically. And one of the ways that we do that is through structure and not necessarily outline, but like thinking about what the other pieces are and like, um, and letting your, re letting your reader as in the other people in the workshop know what those other pieces are so that they can kind of think about the novel as a whole. Even as a How do you keep the tension of the suspense going throughout a book so, so that people stay on the edge? What do you do? Oh, I mean, I, I use this. I mean, this is this is not my concept, um, but I use this concept of story questions. Um, and a story question is just where the story poses a question to the reader. Um, and then you have to decide when the question is answered. And that's how I how I create tension, because sometimes you have story questions that are answered um, immediately, um, like the, like you'll end a chapter with a story question like, is Edwin going to finish this sentence? And then in the next paragraph, in the next chapter, Edwin finishes the sentence. That's a story question. But another type of story question is one that could could be answered at the end of, say, a uh, at the end of a plot point. So maybe the entire first section of your novel is about uh, figuring out who, um, you know, who who killed someone, and you think that it is uh, John who killed someone. And at the end of that section, John, we, we discover that John actually has an alibi. And so now we've just answered the story question, did John kill someone? No, he didn't because he has an alibi. And then other story questions you use the entire book to answer, right? Like who, who killed Edwin? Like we get all the way to the end of the book and we answer that question. And so that, that's what I try and do. Like one author I really love who uses story questions so well and in such an interesting way is a guy named Peter Swanton, um, who wrote, um, the, uh, the kind worth killing. He's written a lot of books, but that's the one he's most well known for. And one of the things I love about his writing is he poses so many story questions and he, he, he poses story questions that could be an entire novel, and then he answers them in like the next chapter. And so you're always kind of creating this level of tension within the novel um, by by ratcheting up like what the reader is asking the entire time. What do you, what do you think you get out of doing each one of these novels? Does it change you in in some sort of way? Oh my gosh, that is such an interesting question. Um, well, I like this. I like that. I mean, I have to tell you that writing a novel is a set, a hugely frustrating experience. It takes a long time. There's a lot of self-doubt. And then all of a sudden it comes together in the end and you feel amazing. Um, and you feel amazing because you've accomplished, you've created this entire world, uh, where, with these imaginary people in this, you know, sort of living in this world and, and doing what you, what you've decided that they should be doing. 
and it is immensely, immensely satisfying. Um, I, as far as like how it's changed me, I mean, I feel like I feel like I've got I've become a better writer. This this is my fifth novel. Who to believe? And I feel like I've become a better writer over the course of writing these five novels. I mean, I like all, I love all of my novels, but I feel like I have really improved my storytelling skills. So that is really uh, exciting as well. What do you think is, you know, do you feel like for each book, there's a different inspirational point? You've mentioned at the beginning of the episode, a couple of inspirations for who to believe. Do you feel as though you could look to each book and, and, you know, pluck out different inspirations or do you think it's, it's more complex than that? Like different inspirations for the actual plot? Well, I mean, theme, plot, I guess maybe any, any, all of the above. <laughs> Gosh, it's so funny when you like, um, it's hard to, like writing, writing a novel is almost like exercising. You, you almost can't forget, you can't remember the process after a while, but um, so like, like your first, my first novel was like so many authors, my first novel, which is called Little Comfort, the first in the Hester Thursby series. It was such a labor of uh, love and persistence. Um, it took me, you know, probably I started in 2010 and I got it. Yeah, I started at the end of 2010 and I sold it at the end of 2016. So it took me, um, you know, a number of years to write, a number of years to revise, and a number of years to actually sell. That was that the, the process for that novel. I'd written another novel that never sold uh, when I first got out of my MFA program, but that that novel was the the whole process there was teaching myself a how to do it. It's like you don't learn how to write a novel in one second. Um, you have to you have to practice and you have to fail and you have to you know practice some more and then succeed a little bit. And so it took me a while to to figure out just what I was doing. Then it took me a while to get all the pieces in place, like finding an agent and finding a publisher and all that, that kind of stuff. Um, so that, that novel is sort of like its own thing. And I think most people would say that about their first novels. And then my second novel, I had this like enormous job. I was the vice president at a big publishing company. And um, uh, it was like the most stressful job in the world. And it, it wasn't, but it, for me, it was very stressful. And um, so my second novel, like like many people, I'm suddenly writing a novel on deadline. And it was like crazy. Um, so I had to really plan that novel uh, very, very carefully. Um, I had to get up at like three in the morning every day and uh, work on it and then go to my crazy job at the publishing house. That that novel was sort of unique, too. And then the next couple, one I wrote during the pandemic, and I think anyone who wrote a novel during the pandemic remembers that it was just so hard to concentrate on anything. So I, I guess what I'm saying in a very long-winded way is that each of them has been so unique and like a lot of them have been um, sort of dependent on where where I was in my life and where I was in my writing process. Do you think you'll return to Esther Thursby? Oh yeah, you know, I think I might do that. I just wrote a short story um, called Thursby and White and it's on my website if anyone wants to see it. It's edwin-hill.com. And it was a Christmas story. And I really enjoyed returning to her. I think she's a really fun character. She's um, she's tough and she reminds me of myself a little bit. Um, and she has a she has a partner named Morgan, a, a husband named Morgan, but she works with a police detective named Angela White, who's appeared in many of my novels. And I really like the interplay between the two of them. So I would love to re I'd love to return to 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 them. 
um, and kind of expand on this short story at some point. It's set uh, in Harvard, it's set at Harvard and it um, involves a, it's set over Christmas and um, it involves, there was a story, there was a um, news story a few months ago, I don't know if it got any national play, but there were some people who were stealing body parts from the uh, cadaver sites at, uh, at Harvard. So uh, anyway, we'll see about if that goes anywhere. That sounds very Christmassy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. So, so what do you what do you consider your strong points in writing? What what is it that seems to be more natural for you, um, and w what other things are really hard for you? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I am an idiot savant when it comes to logic. I don't know if you ever take the GRE or the LSAT. Do you remember those those puzzles where it'd be like like there were six people at dinner and five of them had uh, chicken cacciatore and one had uh, chicken parm and uh, uh, who had tiramisu for dessert. Do you remember those types of things? Anyway, like I'm a total idiot savant at those. I can, I can, it's like the only thing that I'm actually good at in the world. And um, so I love logic and I love seeing how things fit together. I love the puzzle of the mystery. And so I, I do think that's one of the, one of my stronger uh, points, when I, my stronger um abilities when it comes to writing. So I like the way, I love to see how all of the pieces finally fall together. I don't always know how they're going to fall together, but um, I like to work through how they're all going to fall together. I think I'm pretty good at humor too. There's always this underlying humor that I think is funny in uh, <laughs> in my novels. And whether you think it's funny, I don't know. Like humor, of course, is so, so subjective. So I would never call my novel humorous, but I do think that they are I think they're humorous, and sometimes people will tell me that as well. Uh, what would be the thing that most challenges me? I think what I'm going to say about this is I, I have written five novels now that are all set over two or three days. They, they have very tight plots. You know, part of that is for tension. I think one of the great ways of building tension in a novel is to compress the timeline. Um, but one of the challenges I'm going to put forward forward for myself for not this not the novel I'm working on now but the one after that is to extend the timeline and probably tell the story in a dual timeline so maybe in the 90s and in the present day uh, so I'm sort of like expanding the scope of the novel that's what I would like to do is have a have a novel with a larger scope to it you know and when you get into the characters so much like when you're doing one section of one character and you kind of really are living through them you know you're going through the the emotions of it and that stuff do you think that affects you in your personal life as well oh no i write about terrible terrible people and if i <laughs> <laughs> if i if i if i let it impact me it'd be it'd be um if i let them infect me it i I'd, I'd be it'd be trouble i know that feeling <laughs> so what are you Working on now, I mean, you mentioned you're working on a novel. You're in the midst of it. Can you talk about it, or is that oh, taboo? Sure. Or... No, no. So this novel <laughs> is set in um, New Hampshire. It's set in a lake town in New Hampshire. And it's about a, a young man who starts to investigate a crime that impacted his family. Um, but he investigates the crime with a woman, a, a former TV star who was on a like a Law & Order type show so like think Mariska Hargitay and she, that show made an made an episode of the tv series about a, a crime that affected his family 
And so it's sort of like Castle meets um, Three Pines, I think is a good way of describing it. Um, and so it has serious potential. Um, I'm curious, as I'm working on it, I'm sort of, I'm not polished, I wish I was polishing it, but I'm not polishing it. I'm still sort of figuring out what it is. Um, as I'm working on it, I'm trying to decide whether I want to protect my core cast, which is something you have to do in a, in a uh, series novel, or if I kind of want to like just kill off whoever I want to, you know? Um, so that will be sort of the ultimate decision on whether I try to turn it into a series or not. That is a constant sort of issue with series versus standalone. Um, and I, although I, I'm writing a trilogy, it's not a series, and I kind of know what it's all going to be about. But if I ever decide to write a series, you, that idea of having to protect your core cast, like that, there are characters you cannot get rid of. And even at some point, if you get further along in the series, characters that would upset readers if you did get rid of them. Do you, is that, do you like that challenge or is that I mean, frustrating or what do you think? I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. That's so why I'm asking. Oh, I, I kind of like both. I mean, writing a series is like writing a, it's sort of like TV. On, when you watch a TV show, everything is middle. Like a TV show is all middle because because the writers are trying to get you to watch the next episode, right? Um, not a limited series, but like an ongoing TV series. And so when you write a successful um, series, a successful mystery series, there's a lot of middle there. Even though each novel is going to have its own arc, it's going to have its own beginning, middle, and end. It's going to have it will have a um, it will have a midpoint and flat points and all of those things. You, you still need to have those story questions that kind of bring you from novel A to novel B. Um, they can't be so frustrating that the reader's like feeling like they're leaving on a cliffhanger. Um, and you also, this is the, the, the benefit of writing a series is you stay with a character, like I stayed with Esther Thursby, you get to see that character grow over a series of novels. And it's fun to sort of map those, map those out and sort of see where you want the character to go. Like when in the Hester Thursby series, Hester, Hester has a boyfriend at the beginning. By the end, by the end, they're married, and it was fun to sort of map out the trajectory of their uh, very troubled but very loving relationship. And uh, it was fun to see her grow as a character in a way that she I wouldn't have been able to see in uh, a single novel. So that's really fun. But then the flip side of that is novels, standalone novels, are generally about the very most important thing that has ever happened to a protagonist. Um, and so if you're able, in a standalone, if you're, if you're able to tell yourself, this is the very most important thing that ever happened to this protagonist, you can really throw the kitchen sink at that protagonist and, and really ratchet up the tension. With a series, of course, you're constantly trying to create that, those important things that happen to uh, a character, but they can't all be the most important thing that happened. That would be me, the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> this book now, Who to Believe, it's it's set in a small town. Do you like working small town crime sort of thrillers because of the uniqueness of relationships in a small town? I did for this one. So um, most of my novels before this one, oh, no, one was set in a small town before this. But um, most of them have been set in Boston, uh, which is a city of neighborhoods, but it is a city. Um, but this one, I wanted to move to a very, very small town uh, because one of the really uh, key elements about the novel is the idea of people knowing each other and of, of having a small community. When I was growing up, my dad was the principal of my high school. W when you are in a role like that, 
you you're both a part of the community and i grew up in a town very much like the one depicted in this story when you when you grow up in a town like that uh, and you have a role like principal or police chief or whatever it's just an interesting view of the community because you both are part of the community you live in the community obviously but you also sort of sit over the community in a way because you know things about people that um ordinary citizens don't know um and so one of the things that i did with these with these these characters that are all at this party is they all have an interesting view of the community and they have an interesting view of each other because of it so the people who are at the party are a psychiatrist um a police chief a um a financial planner, a minister, and a documentary filmmaker. So they're all kind of looking at the world through a lens, like a like a um, documentary filmmaker would. And they're seeing the society, their, their community, in a different way. What happens to your characters when they when your book's done? Well, I just kind of put them aside, um, and <laughs> they, they see, I you. mean, some of them are dead. I hate to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are dead some of them have uh, been packed off to jail you know various things it's, uh, it's like i don't know i mean it, it is funny when you write something you, you do kind of have to move uh beyond it um i think maybe it's even true sort of ser- i mean you're coming back to series but i don't know about you but i need to i think some writers don't want to leave their characters behind i'm kind of happy to like have a break um, it's like going to a great party, but knowing when to leave. <laughs> John's a love him and leave him guy. I mean, I've written. I'm a love him. Yeah. This will be my sixth novel in seven years. So once once you're once you're into a novel, it's like you can't really think about anything else just because it's so all encompassing. I was actually at a I was doing a panel at a conference, and the panel was about let's see, the panel was about a book that I had. I'd written that book and it had been published. I'd written another book and that one had been published. And I was on, I was working on a third book. So we were talking about, we were talking about a book that was two books earlier. And the panel, the the moderator asked me like a total softball question about it. And I just kind of looked at him with like dumbfounded. And I was like, I, like for like five seconds, I could not remember one thing about the book. Then thankfully some things came back to me. So. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, and I don't know if you would agree that um, it because of the intensity of writing, particularly, I mean, you've produced a lot in a few years, and that intensity has to you require a break at some point. Do you take a break, or do you just start right up, like, with the next novel? Do you jump right back in, or do you have to kind of have a, a weekend away, at least, or something? I haven't, and I think I really need to. So this, I'm at the end of my contract with this book. I'm I'm turning in, um, so I'm going to take a. I don't know how long, but I'm going to take a breather after that. Um, in 2024, one thing I really, one thing you, you know, I work and like writing. Writing takes a lot of time, so I, I do find that I uh, wind up being a little insular and spending a lot of time by myself. So one of the things I'd really like to do is finish this book and then reconnect with some uh, human beings for a little while. Yeah. Go, go take a breather, go to a lake and hang out. That's exactly right. Just don't get (laughs) while you're there. So listen, so do you like to do social media and you've mentioned a website and all that? How do you like readers to find you interact? 
Oh, you can go to my website, which is edwin-hill.com. And then I'm on the social medias as Edwin, what is it? Edwin Hill author, at Edwin Hill author. Um, so you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. No TikTok yet, eh? I have not crossed that bridge. I'm not, uh, I will say I'm not a big social media person. You know, I, I try to do it. I like to connect, like, you know, like I like to see folks that I don't normally get to see and catch up with them, which is always fun. Um, uh, so I love to hear from people. And if anyone wants to follow me, that would be great. Well, there you go. Well, we'll put all that up on our website as well. So people can find you, hunt you down, send you, uh, Dirty emails. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> you know, liven up the stuff. Get get some humor out of that. You know, actually, and when you mentioned humor, right? Your your sense of humor it might be more subtle or hidden, but do you still have to put it in the right sense, the right timing? <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's the humor is a that's a piece. When the humor starts coming out in a novel, I know that I'm almost done. Uh, because I feel like that with me, the humor is really about connecting ideas um, and sort of building on the ideas so that they like when they're humorous, they the, the humor builds. Um, and that only happens late in the writing process. And it only happens once I have really um, solidified what the story is. OK, then. Well, OK. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. And now the book we're talking about is Who to Believe? A Twisting Domestic thriller and that's edwin hill thank you for being here oh thank you so much for having me this was great thanks edwin thanks john you've been listening to the house of mystery radio show to find out more about our guests hosts or shows go to www.houseofmystery.com show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me Something with media. I'll be back.